Welcome to the Value Investor Chatter podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Becco and my co-host, Hari. Welcome, everybody. All right, before we get started, let's do a quick disclaimer. Uh, Hari, please. This podcast is uh, here to help you grow your wealth and uh, become financially independent, but we are not financial advisors and we don't know your specific financial situation. So whenever... Uh, making any significant financial decisions, please consult with the appropriate uh, tax or financial advisor. Great. All right, guys, we're back at it again. This week, we are co- we're going to talk about AMD. AMD stock has been in the news uh, quite a, you know for quite a while, and yesterday they just announced their earnings. And uh, I think it, uh, I think it'll be very, very interesting to kind of dig into this. So why don't we get started? So Hari, can you start us off? I'll go to you with a very simple question. What do they do? Yeah, so AMD is a uh, company that makes uh, chips, uh, you know, semiconductors, you know, CPUs and graphics uh, cards uh, that uh, work inside of uh, computer servers, uh, and, you know, and, and in data centers and in, uh, gaming consoles. Yeah. And, uh, AMD is obviously, you know, like, 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 like you said, Hari, they are in the semiconductor industry. They are one of the few, uh, they're big, other big names in the semiconductor industry. NVIDIA is up there. Intel is up there. Micron, we talked quite a bit about in this podcast. Micron is also up there. And NVIDIA is one of one of them. And I remember, you know, in the NVIDIA podcast, if you guys haven't, to, haven't listened to it, um, it's in our archives. NVIDIA, when we talk about NVIDIA, we talk about NVIDIA in the, in the context of other chip companies like AMD, because AMD, so this is kind of bolstering the argument for more, more for NVIDIA than AMD. NVIDIA is, they're really focused on the graphics card, whereas, whereas AMD is more kind of focused on the commodity side of the business in semiconductors. So I think it's, I think it'll be um, good to kind of dig into that a little bit too, Hari. Could you maybe talk, talk to the audience about their specialty relative to other chip makers? Yeah, I mean, a- AMD has been around for uh, a long time and has been, you know, been competing with Intel for, uh, for most of its history before uh, they actually bought a company called ATI that makes the Radeon line of graphics cards. So, you know, their history is actually, you know, very interesting because they were always the also ran um, for a long, long time. And then in the early 2000s, they actually developed a, a chip a CPU that was superior to the Intel uh, processor line. And so AMD kind of shot up in terms of uh, mind share in everybody, in all the gamers' minds and so forth. And then for about five to seven years, they had like a, some, uh, a, you know, dominance. And then in 2000, the late 2000s, you know, they, they lost that uh, dominance because Intel overtook them. Uh, and then for the next 10 years or so, uh, AMD, you know, kind of, limped along, you know, they were, they, but what they did was they bought, uh, ATI, which is the competitor to NVIDIA. And so they started competing on the graphics card market. And so the, the thought was that gamers have to buy a CPU and a GPU 
So it's another line of uh, revenue for them. Um, and so they continued to have, you know, good success in that, but they were kind of still in the ATI space, kind of the also, you know, the second fiddle to NVIDIA. Um, they had some successes there, but in the last like five to six years, um, you can actually see AMD's revenue start to pick up uh, fairly significantly from, you know, three, you know, for between 2006 and 2016 or so, their revenue was roughly flat at about $5 billion. And then in 2017, it started to slowly pick up. And in 2020, it really ramped up. And that was because they had in uh, released this line of chips called the Ryzen chips, which had a re was very, very competitive with Intel and in many cases was actually faster. So AMD kind of took over the lead. Um, and we're at this point where AMD is now, for the first time, they've actually started making chips in the uh, mobile space, so in, on your laptop that is competitive with Intel. Um, and actually a lot of gamers now prefer their chips for their laptops because of they have better performance, better, you know, very good battery life, you know, that kind of stuff. So, you know, this is, this is why competition is good for the consumer is because uh, Intel can't let, rest on its laurels. Intel's actually looking really bad right now. AMD, you know, kind of punched them and then, you know, Intel will come back and, you know, it'll be a, constant kind of tug of war between the two, right? So it's good for consumers, but if you're the owner of a company, what that kind of does is, uh, you know, we'll talk about that here. Mm -hmm. But yeah, let me just level set here and give you guys market cap, just so that we understand what kind of what size of the business we're talking about. So market cap for AMD as of yesterday, the trading day, February 2nd, or February 1st rather, it's $136 billion, $136 billion. And let's see their top line growth. Um, by the way, I'm just uh, going to do a plug here. If you guys want to find fundamentals data for free, you can just go to our website. Let me share my screen here. You can go to our website, valueinvestor.org, and then you can find, go ahead and find this database. So let me go back. So this is our website. You go to the database here, and then just type in the ticker symbol. So AMD. So let's see. So we're talking about, uh, we're talking about a company that generates about, you know, I guess this is an anomaly year 21, or somewhere in like the mid billions single digit billions is kind of where they have been for a while. So this is the kind of company, this is the magnitude that we're talking about here. All right. So let's, so with that out of the way, let's actually dive into their earnings from yesterday. Harry. Yeah. Um, so, um, what we're looking at here is the press release that AMD put out, and we're going to just kind of walk through a little bit. So I, I think from an educational standpoint, it's very important to be able to read these press releases because uh, the company is actually going to spin a press release, you know, as to its, uh, to its favor as much as it possibly can. So you have to be real careful about how you read things because some earnings reports will look better than they are when you actually dig into the data. You want to see what, what does it actually look like? And 
um, you know, AMD has, uh, you know, some fairly significant things ahead of it that, you know, we'll discuss, you know, as we go through here, but um, their web. I, I just want to, I just want to add to that comment really quick. Um, you know, we, we talk about 10K and all these SSE filings as sort of gr the ground truth when we want to analyze companies. At the end of the day, they are published by the companies themselves. So I think it's important to remember that fact that it is in some ways a marketing material. That's kind of another way to look at it. I mean, obviously it's not as far extreme as some, you know, copy on Facebook or something like that, but it is still good to have a skeptical eyes when you're reading through these materials published by the company themselves. Anyway, back to your point, Hari. Yeah. So, so typically what companies are going to present are a quarterly report. And then once a year, they're going to have the annual version of their filings. So typically they're going to show a quarterly report comparing the current quarter versus, you know, the current quarter that just ended to the same quarter the year before. So in this case, AMD is going to present year over year data also because, uh, or, or yearly data because it's also the fourth quarter. Um, so revenue was up 16%. Uh, just in the fourth quarter, but um, so we're going to make sure we look at, we're looking at gap quarterly financials, which is standardized accounting rules across. And then every company now pre presents non-gap quarterly financial results. The non-gap part of this is where you have to be very, very careful because companies can actually make their own rules as far as how uh, uh, to present because they don't have to follow necessarily the standard now, this is due to the fact that gap accounting rules are actually pretty awkward uh, to measure net income. And we'll talk about that uh, a little bit, but not, you know, in depth for here, maybe in a, in a different video. But uh, just to, you know, just to go through this real fast, revenue was up 16%, but their expenses were up 109%. So um, more than doubled. And so they actually swung to an operating loss. Uh, from 1.2 billion last year to now um, $149 million loss. And so their net income for the year was actually uh, down significantly from 974 million to 21 million. But when you then go down to their non-GAAP results, which is, as we're gonna read through this, you're gonna see that a lot of the expenses were up because they had an acquisition of a company that makes embedded systems. Uh, so. We'll, we'll go through the uh, thing again, but it says now revenue, which isn't different, up 16%. Gross margin was actually stable. And then their operating expenses only went up 45%, which is still significant, but their net income was roughly the same. So, but if you look here, one thing you'll notice is roughly flat, but their earnings per share was actually down 25%, right? So that indicates to you that there are, and they haven't indicated this here, share count is actually increased, right? So paying attention to these kind of details is kind of good because Wall Street has treated this as positive results. And I don't know how you can spin it as necessarily as positive results here. So, um, you know, and then they look at the annual data because we have that. So we can see revenue was actually up significantly by 44% um, and gross profit was up, you know, significantly as well. Um, and they're saying that their earnings per share actually on a non-GAAP basis went up uh, 25%.
but let's actually go down to something here. I think that's the, like the bigger story, which is, uh, the, uh, the segment data, which is what I, I think is very important to look at. So their data center is actually growing by 42% year over year to 1.7 billion, which is uh, their server line of, of chips. But their client segment, which is their PC uh, uh, gaming sales, you know, and things like that. So this, this the CPUs that go there is down 51%. So they, they had a lot weaker demand and more uh, inventory was piling up because people weren't buying what they were selling. So this is very concerning to me because this is, you know, the heart of their business. Data centers are a lot more stable business, which is good news for them. But uh, their gaming segment re revenue is down 7% because of uh, GPUs. Um, and then they bought a company, Z-Links, uh, I don't know how to pronounce that, up uh, significantly because they didn't have uh, a business there. So what, you know, Becco and I always hammer on is you have to understand the business because if you don't understand the business, you're not going to understand how to value the business. And what I see here is a very mixed picture of, uh, you know, consumer demand is, is down because... Is it because the chips aren't resonating with people? Is it because everybody bought something in the last few years and there isn't enough, you know, change between these things? Uh, or is it, you know, that, you know, it's general market conditions, you know, everybody's expecting a recession, so they're not buying stuff. Um, yeah, I think, I think another thing to think about is this is comparing the numbers from last year. And I think you are talking about a relative change from last year. And as you remember from last year, there was a big boom in PC sales because of COVID and the lockdown and everything else, right? Everything moved to digital and people thought that, oh, we're going to stay in digital for a long time. And people piled up. All these companies couldn't just, couldn't meet the demand because there was some supply supply shock and supply, um, supply bottleneck. I, so I think it's important to remember that we're comparing against the highs and so perhaps the sentiment that you, you mentioned from the, from the wall street is, okay, we're perhaps reverting back to the means, but it's not, it doesn't look as bad as if you were to draw like a linear chart from the trend line. And perhaps that, that is the, that is the, uh, the counter argument there. Yep. Yeah. I think, <clears throat> I think the data centers, the piece is, is interesting because if you look at if you look at some of these uh, earnings from Microsoft and AWS and Amazon and things like that, I think we're seeing continued strength in those segments versus other segments. And so it, it seems like data center is a very stable revenue stream for a lot of these companies. What is interesting though, is it is because, well, that, that is because the consumer demand has been crushed, but the corporation are going quite strong. America is still, burning that corporation fuel. And I think that is what's keeping the economy alive is the corporation sentiment, the corporate sentiment. Yep. And so the data center piece makes sense to me. I think what is interesting here is how does it going to look in the next couple of quarters? Everybody's been talking about recession. Where is it? When is it actually coming? Didn't we actually have one? Like, and so that, that's, that's my big question mark now, as we look forward is, is the data center piece especially for AMD, is that also going to get crushed? 
Probably not in the immediate term because these are kind of long-term contracts. And if you want to build out a data center, you know, obviously you're not, you don't do that in a few months, but I think that's something to keep, keep your close eye on. Another thing on the data segment and the data center piece that I find it, that I find really interesting is data centers, they, with, with AWS and, you know, just in time, you can spin up EC2 servers, just like, you know, with a, with a click of a button. And it's so easy to scale things now. It's so easy to, to just, you know, the elastic compute, it, it makes so much sense, but it also means that you can also scale things down that quickly too, right? Before you had to have all these provision servers and, you know, you had to lock in all of these servers on-prem, you've got to build up all these infrastructures yourself. You don't have to do that anymore, but it also means that you can dial things back quite, quite quickly. So I think it'll be interesting to see the growth rate um, in some of these big, um, big uh, data center companies. And then obviously the secondary effect on chip companies, I think it'll be also telling. Sorry, last point on the data center piece. AMD is supplying Intel, AMD, NVIDIA, they're supplying chips to these data centers and they, they seem to be on a tear still. One thing to keep in mind is that all these big cloud companies are also developing their own chips. Yep. AWS is developing their own chips. Amazon, uh, is, you know, AWS developing their own chips. Azure, Google, they all have their own chips. And the chips are, are more designed for higher end kind of parallel computing with GPU and more sort of specialty chips. But nonetheless, I think it's gonna, it's, it, I think it'll be very important to keep, keep an eye on that and see how that plays out. Um, so those are some of my thoughts on this. Yeah. I mean, I, I think to just a couple things to add to your, your points, there are certainly risks that Amazon and other, uh, folks will start to replace the chips like just like apple did with in they, they removed intel from their mac line of uh cpus uh you know with their own you know there it is very possible that that could happen uh and and have a significant impact on the data center side um but there's also kind of a cloud kind of burnout for a lot of companies that's occurring where they're looking at the costs of cloud and they're realizing that they do have to run their servers 24 seven. So does it make more sense to actually put them in a traditional data center? And, you know, so it, it's, it's a, it's a really interesting question because there are a lot of companies like Netflix who are just completely AWS, everything all the time. And, and then there are other companies that are pulling their, their stuff away out of the cloud because it's too expensive. And they're realizing that the benefits of the cloud are, you know, like you said, I need to spin up a lot of stuff and then turn it off, but they don't have to do that very often because they're running things 24 seven. So, so it's going to be an interesting space because those companies that are moving away from the cloud may be actually looking at AMD to say, you know, cause you know, like think of Exxon Mobil, right? They have huge data centers that are looking for oil and gas and things like that. A lot of their data centers are actually not in, um, in the cloud, they are actually in traditional data centers space. So they're going to uh, put, um, they're going to need to buy AMD chips, right? And it's going to be a, a cost calculation for them. What is, you know, is it Intel versus AMD? What's going to get me the better performance, better uh, power usage, you know, that kind of stuff. 
So mm-hmm. I think AMD is now competitive in the server space, which is going to be very interesting because Intel heavily relied on that for a long, long time. You know, there was AMD was almost unheard of in the server space. Um, and so now I, I think we, you know, we, you almost have to look at Intel and say, what's going to happen to them, right? Are they going to lose uh, market share in the, in the data center space? Because now AMD is going to kind of uh, start eating away at the, you know, as people start replacing their servers, they're going to start buying AMD chips. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a few thoughts on, on the cloud. One statistic that blew me away. You and I, Hari, have been in the startup, health startup space. So, you know, working in the cloud is sort of like a no-brainer. Obviously, people start with AWS. Yeah. It's, it's kind of clearly that's where you go. So in this world, you would imagine that everybody is on there already. But if you look at the statistics, it's like 15% of corporate workflow or workload is on the cloud, which means that 85, the rest 85% is still in the traditional data centers in the on-prem data centers that, that these corporations actually run and manage. So I think there's a ton of room there still. The second point that I think is interesting is there was a coverage on REITs, data center REITs. And we looked at this once. Uh, what was the company? Um, Cone. Yeah, C-O-N-E Cyrus was the ticker yep, symbol. Cyrus One. Cyrus One, yeah. Cyrus One was one of the companies, one of the REITs that did REITs for data centers specifically. And I was quite fascinated by them because I thought there was a good trajectory there, good runway for growth, et cetera, et cetera. There was a coverage on REITs recently. I think by Wall Street Journal that talked about why are they valued, you know, so richly. But it was actually casting a negative kind of light on the on the future of of, of data center REITs, and the reason is because they're being squeezed so much by these big players like Amazon and Azure, because they know ins and outs of how these data centers operate, and they know the sweet sweet margins that they get on these data centers. So why do you even bother outsourcing it to some of these REITs when they can kind of just run the entire stack up and down the chain? Yep. And so that that's something, there's a lot of kind of downward pressure from, from that side of the business. But it makes me think about kind of thinking about that and also thinking about what you said. This is kind of entrepreneurial brain kind of thinking now. There must be some way to make it easy to go to the cloud in kind of the, in, in this traditional sense, but also not go to the cloud. So for example, you would have, you would manage your own data centers and you would have all the benefits of elastic compute and storage and everything else, but you don't have to actually pay AWS. You can run and manage your own data centers, but the software layer the software piece, the innovation that AWS and all these people did to make things so easy to spin up servers and storage and everything else, could that be extracted away and have it sit on these data centers? And you, so you just license some of these software that allows you to spin things up and spin things out quickly. It feels like that could be a room for some kind of innovation where you basically democratize the, 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 the techniques that AWS uses to power up their servers just just a side side comment there yeah i'm 
I know we're 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 getting we're veering off from AMD topic, but well, I mean, I think you can't talk about AMD without talking about all of these topics, right? And that's kind of the importance of the moat discussion, right? Is where where is their you know, and where is their runway for growth going to come from, right? Nobody has to buy AMD, right? You know, in 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 that you know sense, you have a lot of different options, right? I don't need to buy server chips because I can just put them on AMD uh, or I'm sorry, on Amazon or Azure, right? So then it becomes Azure's problem or Amazon's problem about what uh, cloud, you know, infrastructure, hardware they're going to buy. But so, so we have to think about these things as the cloud is still competing with AMD data center model, right? Uh, because whatever chips AMD is selling is is you know could could power a cloud but if amazon doesn't want them then you know it's going to come from the traditional data center space right so we have to start thinking about things when you start looking at uh, companies as you know it's a long uh, line in a you know in a sweater right and you start pulling it and you'll see the entire thing is you know very you know it's a big tapestry of things going on you know underneath right so yeah. Definitely. So the only thing, the last comment I will say, you know, just kind of about this is, because um, we haven't talked about this much, is NVIDIA is the other side of this equation, right? So GPUs and other things are, uh, and, and CPUs for that matter, are very, very capital intensive businesses. They require an enormous amount of research and development cost to build a chip to get it to a point where it can actually sell, right? And then you have uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about this in the past. TMC, TSMC is kind of the only place in the world that makes these very complex, you know, five nanometer chips. And then now they're three nanometer, they're getting smaller and smaller, right? It requires even more complexity and, you know, and so forth. So what's interesting about all of this, this, you know, uh, is there are huge, you know, cycles of everybody's you know, demand is super high. TSMC is kind of maxed out on what they can make. And now demand is super low. And so, you know, because, uh, you know, all the chips that were are, are now piling up, so they're building less, right? So you've got to look at all kinds of these segments, you know, and what this kind of leads me into is, this is a business that in my opinion is too hard, right? Like if you, you look at Charlie Munger's kind of too easy, too hard bucket, right? Like you want to invest in businesses that you can understand and you can, you know, know. And in my opinion, like I've followed this space very closely for a very long time because I play video games and I know AMD very well and I follow their stock and all of that. And every time I'm like, their pricing is largely out of their control. You know, people buy their chips and then, you know, three years ago, it was like they could do no wrong. Now it's, you know, you go to the store and they have, you know, their stock is full for weeks at a time because, you know, the demand is very weak. So, you know, it, it's a lot of, lot to think about. And to me, it's like, I don't really even want to go there, right. As a company, it's too complicated for me to understand because five years from now, I don't know what demand is going to be like. Yeah. I'll, I'll just say, mention two things about that. First is. I think we have to differentiate between commoditized semiconductor and then really specialty semiconductor yep. space. 
CPU is as commoditized as you can get. AMD, it, the main source of revenue for them is the CPU line. And, and that is, that is basically a commodity. And if you want to get into the space of commodity, you, you, and then we have to talk about competitive advantage in the commodity space. What do you, what, what is the competitive advantage in the commodity space? It's, you know, you know, existing distribution, ex existing brand names, high capex, but all those things doesn't allow you to price things, um, as, as you want, because it is nonetheless still a commodity. So I think that's something to, uh, something to remember. That's why I think NVIDIA is more richly valued because with these sort of high-end semiconductor, with this, especially in these high GPU lines, it's, it's still, it, it's, um, it's not as commoditized as CPU. So that's one comment I would yeah. make. A second comment I would make here is the semiconductor industry. And I said this multiple times in the podcast. I have never seen an industry with a complicated, with as complicated supply chain as semiconductor. It is kind of totally mind blowing. This is, this occurred to me when I first read into NVIDIA. Oh my God, how many steps, how many steps are in the supply chain? It's insane. The, 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 the chips are actually designed in, in, a, in Silicon Valley. They're made in, in Taiwan and then there's there's thousands and thousands of steps in between and so if one of those breaks and now we're, we're going into kind of deglobalization trend uh and also a side note if you ha guys haven't read peter zion fantastic book, i would highly recommend it he talks about the kind of the deglobalization trend but as we're going into the deglobalization trend i think it's important to remember the the more steps in your supply chain the more risk there is to your business so kind of to bolster your point, um, I think it's important to remember some of these things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, to kind of close out on this, right. We haven't, we haven't talked about, uh, financials very much, but I'm just going to, uh, kind of go through, uh, you know, just, a what, you know, what's a rough valuation for a company like this. So this is, uh, our, our uh, database hasn't gotten the, the latest things because it just came out. Uh, but in, in next couple of days, it'll have 2022's numbers. But just using 2021's numbers, for example, um, for 2021, net income was roughly $3 billion on a CARP company whose market cap is uh, well north of $90 billion. So we're talking about 30 times earnings. And when we actually get into the free cash flow, which is right here, um, and if you're looking for how, how, where are we pulling all of this from, this is on our website, valueinvestor.org. You can uh, connect uh, with us there. Uh, we have a community that you can sign up for so you can chat with us, uh, talk to other investors on our um, uh, that are part of the community, uh, get this free access to our free value investor you know, database, which has company financials, which has, uh, you know, going back... Uh, 30 plus years in uh, many companies. Um, and you can actually see things very quickly at a glance. Uh, and the uh, the database is free. Uh, so we'd encourage you to come look at it. And we also have a blog where you can read about, uh, uh, we talk in depth about you know certain parts of companies. Uh, this last week, we actually had a, a blog post about uh, Disney uh, and talking about how <clears throat> the uh, financial damage that they've created through to their their balance sheet um 
Uh, and then next week, we're actually going to talk about how, how do you fix something like that uh, in the blog post. So we'd love for you to join us there, uh, connect with us. And we'd also love for you to share you know, these, uh, the blog and everything with your friends uh, so we can grow our community. But you know, going back to what we were talking about here, um, their fleet free cash flow has actually not been great as a company. Even going back the last you know ten years, you can see it's up and down uh, repeatedly, um, and never been you know super you know so you know super high. Last year was the first year that it was over a billion dollars, and it was three point two. So this is a company that is very richly valued, uh, with a in my mind having expectations that it's just going to continue to grow. Uh, free cash flow, and I just don't think that's going to be the case. Um, you know, I, I think it's just too too expensive for what it is, um, and not worth. You know, it's a great company; it's got a, a great product line, but it's too richly valued. If if you were if this company was thirty billion dollars, it'd be a lot more interesting to talk about. Uh, you know, in terms of its market cap, but at ninety plus billion, I I don't know how you could justify the price. Yeah. I would, I would have to agree with you there. I do think that, I do think that there is a serious, the serious threat here. I think Apple, like you mentioned, is a great example of this. I just want to touch on this point. Lastly, I think Apple is a good example of this. Apple, Amazon, they're both getting into the chip space because the full integration makes a ton of sense to me that they now have the most value cap. They have the value capture because they have, you know, people on their platform. And they, they can use the cash flow to basically integrate the entire supply chain. It de-risks de -risks them from having to rely on partners for chips and things like that. It also gets them to be more efficient in terms of, in terms of designing a chip to be completely optimized for whatever the use case is. Uh, I think that, I think there's, um, I think there's a real chance of, uh, disruption from, from, from that standpoint, from, from the customers actually building their own chip lines. Uh, that would that would significantly damage the uh, the outcome for AMD. All right, just to just the last point there. Okay, uh, anything else, Ari? Well, I, I mean, I think uh, our as you know, we've been doing a lot more uh, uh, videos and getting back to the podcast. So we'd really appreciate it if you could share. Uh, like comment and subscribe on our videos um you'll also see us now on TikTok and as uh, as well uh, as on um uh the short form content on youtube so uh the more you can spread the love the uh, we'd appreciate it yeah that sounds great yeah like and subscribe and leave us a comment and uh go rate us five star rating on apple Podcasts. that it really goes a long way also all right Thank you so much for joining, guys. I'll see you guys next week. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye.